Welcome everyone to SaaScast, the podcast that talks you through the steps you need to future-proof your product, whether that's building the ultimate marketing team or taking your products global. Our guests will help you grow, scale up and work smarter. So today I'm speaking to John Chang. He is a, a marketing expert with over 11 years experience in digital and growth marketing for high growth companies, including Klarna, IBM and Kickstarter, as well as being a highly sought after keynote speaker appearing at events all around the world. So first of all, hi, John. Uh, thank you for Hello. the podcast today. <laughs> I'm so excited to be here. Thank you, Anthony, and thank you, SaaS crowd. Um, I hope that you get a lot of enjoyment from this. I'm sure it's going to be a great conversation. I'm sure our listeners are really, really going to benefit. So to start off, um, I'm sure our listeners would just love to know about your your journey um, to be in through digital marketing um, as a sort of, I guess, a kind of influencer in that sphere. I just wanted to know if you could just Give us a little bit of background on you and what it is it about what it is about this path that excites you and keeps driving you down it. Well, it's it's so funny because um, at this point I've won some awards. Like our work has been showcased in Ad Age, Ad Week, things like that. But the I have a degree in existential philosophy, and so I talked about wow. the meaning of life and death for four years. Yeah, it's pretty. <laughs> it, it's not depressing, but it was really intense. Well, and so I had a very hard time finding jobs at right out of college, um, but because I had also at the same time managed a. Uh, music venue, I got a job in marketing. And it was, I mean, it was just a really weird time in life. Um, I was just kind of told to go on to Twitter and figure out how to do it. Should we do email? And as someone who has no marketing experience, uh, it was just, it was kind of like Candyland or a toy store where I was just being exposed to the whole, uh, like the whole ecosystem. And I, at the end of this one year job, when I was in Minnesota, the, my manager told me, well, you know, maybe marketing just isn't right for you. Um, and that was just so funny looking back on that. Um, but I moved to New York and I started working at some uh, um, startups and it was just a wonderful way. I mean, I'm starting this early in my career because I also want to give some advice to people as well. But I moved to New York City where it's just a bump into each other Petri dish at that time. Um, yeah. You couldn't go two feet without learning like someone else's name. And uh, the startups were part of this brand new co-working space that no one had heard of before. And there was only one building. It's called WeWork. Um, and there is a series of startups there. And I started interning um, directly for um, this professor of digital marketing at Columbia Business School. The point is, like throughout this experience, I kept giving people um free marketing, um, primarily in my skill set, which was writing. And then in exchange, I'd be able to learn more about how their business works and um, in an individual channel. Might it be I'm creating content for SEO or I'm creating um, emails for their email program. 
Um, and that eventually just came to a head is just um, all of the experiences together around 2017. Um, and that's a couple of very fun things happened that time. One, I joined Kickstarter as their director of digital marketing. And we were managing um, the acquisition of new creators um, so they can make projects. And then we use content marketing to have those people then um, invite backers to the platform. Um, and it was the most important part here is that it was really my first time thinking a little more intentionally about acquisition marketing, because mm -hmm. um, if we're looking at direct revenue, backers or consumers are the ones who provide the um, mechanism for revenue. However, when we did a little bit more of the financial modeling, it was much more cost effective to acquire creators. And I know we'll talk a little bit about um, growth engines and things like that. So this is a key area that I'd like to touch upon again. Um, and I also started teaching at New York University as an adjunct, um, where I've now been for quite a bit of time. It makes me feel old. Um, <laughs> and then uh, so... Yeah, I mean, just a couple other points is that then I joined IBM Watson and uh, the business unit I was part of was um, transitioned as an acquired by a private equity firm. And uh, we needed to take an existing product. So that makes it a lot easier. But over a nine month period, we spun it off and created an individual brand and startup. It's now called Acoustic. Um, and uh, it's big part of this career journey because I had, I had never taken a business unit and then which essentially just like is a good product and then spun it up into its own startup like we needed to create the brand name and this is where we drafted essentially thousands of different names and the legal team would tell us why each word was actually inappropriate in different languages and uh, why at the end we only had three choices it was a one percent conversion rate or success rate from ideation um and uh so that was great and i think it really prepped me for um the the current kind of capstone in my career, which has helped me then help startups and other people throughout this year. But for two and a half years, I joined Klarna. And that was another thing where I almost did not join because no one had heard of it in the US at that point. Um, we had yet to fully launch the consumer product. Actually, when I was interviewing, there was no consumer product, there was no mobile app. Um, and uh, I took the job because it just seemed like the very best kind of growth mentality and growth culture. Uh, and we took the US market from, I, after the first campaign, small hundreds of thousands of users, which is still large, but then to 20 million consumers in the next two and a half years. Um, and I think there's a lot of stories from there as well. Throughout this year, I, I've been talking with um, quite a few startups and uh, more on the 50-person Series A or, or seed rounds um, and helping them figure out, well, how can I um, reduce my reliance on things like paid acquisition and instead lean more so on full funnel marketing? So that's a very, very long answer to your short question. Um, but I also think that there's some learnings there that we can touch upon in the rest of this um, conversation. Oh, no, it's great, John. I mean, especially as, as a kind of um, content writer myself, a content person, I was I, I had no idea that, um, you know, a lot of a lot of this for you is rooted in, in, in content writing. 
in a way, you know, that, that you were sort of um, that you were helping people specifically as a marketer with with the sort of writing of content. Um, so that's really, really interesting to hear for me. And, and you know, we're, we're always interested in how um, how content marketing can help companies to grow as well. Um, so it's super fascinating to hear about, especially with your yeah, background, your background in philosophy. I mean, you know, a lot of people make to, like to make jokes about, oh, you know, how useless liberal arts degrees are. But I definitely think for the kind of sphere that you're in, you know, there's definitely a, a space for that kind of education, that kind of learning. Oh, absolutely. And the marketing courses I teach um, at New York University, it's actually it's part of the vocational programs. So students are expected to have hands-on skills directly related to the workforce. However, it still is liberal arts. So I require a writing component and uh, um, we use that to help students prepare themselves for the even farther future. Digital marketing and growth marketing is going to change constantly and like continue changing. And so if you learn a skill like Google Ads now, it will be out of date unless you keep yourself refreshed. Even furthermore, if you're looking overall at strategy, if you don't understand the concepts, if you don't know how to um, take a look at another brand's campaign and understand what was successful about it and what was not, then your career trajectory three to 10 years from now is, is not as optimistic as those who do think about marketing in a more holistic liberal arts way. Yeah, and also it, it teaches you to to interpret messaging and to interpret text, and I think that um, that's probably an essential skill from a, for a marketer as well. Kind of that that ability to read between the lines, I guess, of a company's messaging, yeah. and figure out what their what their intentions are, what it is they're trying to do, so you can incorporate that into your skill set as well. Exactly. Yeah, that's great. So um, today we're talking specifically about building uh, sustainable growth engines or, or, or processes. Um, now, I'm just wondering if, if to start with, like, I want you to kind of put your put your teacher hat on for me, John. Um, and just let's just break down the term and just just explain what we mean in relation to startups or, or companies at any stage of growth, even um, what we mean by sustainable growth. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, so uh, <laughs> thanks for asking me to put my teacher hat on. This is funny. <laughs> um, uh, it's very hard to take it off, by the way. So, <laughs> well, so it's big company, small company, different business models. Um, it's the first thing to do. And by the way, for any organization hiring a growth person, do this before you launch your job description as well. But what is your definition of growth? Um, for many organizations and the most common definition in the industry, it is growth of total amount of users or growth of total amount of customers. However, growth, um, because it is, ends up being so cross-disciplinary and in today it's best used um, in relationship to the product, um, it might be growth of monthly active users, or it's growth of total GMV or processed orders or growth of revenue. You see, it, it just keeps going. And so um, the first thing to do is define that as your objective, your OKRs, essentially. And then moving over to the other word, sustainable, um, it's how can you... Uh, 
um, continue increasing, I'm trying not to say grow, but how do you continue increasing um, the total volume of um, uh, those KPIs? And the second part to make it not just scalable, but sustainable is um, what, like, how can you do that at a highly efficient rate? So here's a concrete use case. Um, let's say that let's say that this is a mobile shopping app, <laughs> and that now I guess like really any of them, a mobile shopping app, and growth is defined as net new customers. Mm-hmm. The uh, what we want to do in this situation is make it sustainable by reducing the amount of money that we spend per uh, customer. So that's your customer acquisition cost, um, mm-hmm. or your CPA, or your CAC. And from there, um, to make it sustainable, then you need to either probably both, but one, determine your um, uh, your paid media mix, how much, like which ones provide you the lowest cost per install, the lowest cost per user, or the lowest cost for whatever. If you're B2B, that might be a lead. And then the second thing is in today's day and age, there's a lot of diminishing return there. Um, So what then are the organic channels that um, provide you uh, with non-paid, by definition, uh, new users? And so that takes it from scalable growth to sustainable growth because you're, you're having a more efficient CAC. And looking more full funnel, and this is why I was talking about the different objectives, growth isn't just acquisition in most cases. Um, so the last part then is how do you use life cycle or product marketing to increase the conversion rate of net new users or net new leads into actual customers? Because increasing as I'm just explaining basic math to very smart people, but if you increase your conversion rate by 4% because you have a kick automation plan, then you greatly reduce the amount of um, weight just on organic um, acquisition or paid. Um, You can have a higher cost per install um, while still lowering your CAC because your life cycle plan is doing a greater job. So sustainable growth there is growth of X KPI and then sustainable by Y efficiency unit economics metric. Right. Okay. That's great. And and so it's, it, it, I imagine it's kind of about making it so as well that the customers that you've acquired, the acquisitions that you, you have made can sort of do a little bit of work in terms of kind of uh, attracting new conversions, right? Or generating or new customers. Oh yeah, exactly. And so, well, it's, and it's this idea of, um, if you're looking at your marketing funnel, there's the input of new users, there's the output of, um, purchases or the KPIs. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's, it's typically, uh, and where, where startups and companies typically need help from a growth expert is because what they're seeing is crap in and crap out. Um, when you're only spending, let's say, $100,000 in paid media spend per month, you can get good in and good out. But this is, I mean, this is what's happening in 2022 and what will continue happening through 2023. There is a uh, diminishing return on paid media spend, um, especially for startups, where now you increase your uh, media spend by 33%. However, your costs go up by 66%. And and this is something that I really think is common, what I'm seeing across a lot of different startups. 
Um, and so this crap in crap out model becomes more and more prevalent. And the reason why you then are looking at life cycle, but then users, um, uh, users doing like what you want them, kind of what you're referencing. It's because you're going to increasingly get crap in, but you also, if it's going to be a sustainable growth engine, need a way to make it gold out. And right. that's why having an organic channel and life cycle is so instrumental um, for an organization. If you want to stay a small business, which is there's really nothing wrong with that, um, and uh, you know how to be sustainable at a small scale, great. Also within the, the definition of sustainable growth, um, and also means that you don't have to work as hard on the full funnel part. Um, you can just focus more on the user acquisition. Yeah, I see. So... I want to, you sort of dipped a little bit into the, into the kind of um, the current kind of climate, like why this is happening. I want to sort of dig a little bit deeper into that. What is it about now? I mean, the current sort of business climate that has made this more of a pressing issue than ever. Yeah, I think that it's a reduction in overall, uh, it's a reduction in overall capital available to startups. And then, I mean, even larger businesses, um, uh, it's been a really tough 2022. Um, I saw this article from CNBC that measured the um, year-to-date amount of tech workers laid off um, as 89,000. And since then, I've also seen thousands of more people laid off in the tech industry. Um, and so there's macroeconomic issues there. One is that um, due to uh, the... Uh, due to tightened um, income levels um, and uh, also people who just aren't making income at all at the moment, um, consumer spending is lower um, uh, and like lower overall. And so businesses that, that are dependent on it are um, not able to reinvest um, or their runway actually is much smaller than what they had originally planned for. Um, the second thing then is if you're a startup, then you're you are likely still um, like you're dependent on venture capital um, or outside capital of some sort. Then it goes back to the runway and how much you can how much um, you can exist and operate until that closes. So one of the easiest things to do, and now I'm biased, is to blame marketing um, and then cut marketing budget, and that's. Right that's pretty tough and i and yeah it's pretty tough because then you're expected as a marketer to instead of building a growth engine to pull a rabbit out of a hat yes um uh, operating as a growth marketer much more difficult and so uh what we're trying to do now is do a lot more on a much smaller budget that has happened with any organization um forever however it's even tighter now um, and uh, the, and there's organizations that are still thriving, especially larger ones in consumer um, uh, industries that don't have to take this reduction. And so what do you do instead? Um, the rabbit out of the hat, perhaps that's a strong social media um, uh, social media kind of strategy. Or you do the unit economics and you're actually finding out that a 30% increase in influencer marketing, actually only has a 20% increase in um, like, like CAC, whereas you're um, a 30% increase in meta budget 
um, results in a 50% increase in CAC. So this is what we're really trying to have to do right now. Where's the most uh, important place to spend? And it's probably a little more unconventional. Uh, and then the second thing is how are you going to get new users without spending more money? We've yet to touch on referrals, but there's um, a, there's a flywheel effect that needs to happen. Right. I see. So a lot of obviously thought and time needs to be invested into your organic strategy. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that often takes quite a bit of time. Uh, SEO, for example, I mean, if you're a web-based organization, that typically takes anywhere between like six and 18 months um, because you're essentially just trying to gain trust with Google. And Organic social media can can work faster, but it's not dissimilar practices because what you're trying to do is you're trying to get a lot of engagement with your content so that you can build trust with the individual platforms. Um, one difference is that it might even take longer because you're um, you're not just dealing with a single provider like Google on search, but you're also then um, working with well, Meta, but then also TikTok, but then also Twitter or what have you. Yeah. So it's these organic channels are super important um, and I, it's totally doable. And I have some advice for that. But that is what is expected right now of growth marketers um, who are in these situations affected by macroeconomic conditions. So do you spend a lot of your time then or have you in the past coming up with, with content strategies? in particular for, for social oh, media. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Wow. Well, and yeah, absolutely. And it's, um, yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. And uh, um, at IBM, for example, when you're B2B, content is even more um, like absolute royalty um, because it's, your, it's a primary way to generate leads. Um, you can go to trade shows, great. You can do um, demand gen, also wonderful, but um, when it comes to B2B offerings, especially SaaS, um, a, a lot of them don't differ on paper. Instead, a lot of them tend to differ more so in the user experience and on the brand side. Um, one thing about IBM is that the products I was working on, I believe were superior in the market, but it's artificial intelligence and most of the CMOs and the CIOs we were selling to, they don't know, like everyone, it's artificial intelligence is a wildly complicated thing. And so we're selling to people and trying to boil it down way farther in layman's terms than it should be. And so instead, like... These these companies um, are either pretending to understand AI or they don't understand AI, but it all results in having um, better content from the organization that supports the clients um, and better content that also builds a trustworthy brand. Um, so again, I'm not everyone who's in SaaS, like your products can definitely be superior. However, on paper, generally, there's one or two minute product differences um, that like product differences um, uh, unless someone's able to actually experience the product. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, we are future of SaaS, but I mean, we, we frequently have to acknowledge that SaaS is just so maddeningly broad, you know? I mean, every, everything is SaaS, you know? It's not a function in of itself. Yeah. 
So, I mean, what your what your strategy what? is like for one company is going to be completely different to the next, and and then your your stages the stage of growth that you're at is going to radically affect that as well. Well, exactly. I, I mean, I I am really interested in different SaaS organizations, but it's it, there's a there's a CRM tool. I, I mean, so I'm. As I keep listing companies, these are not sponsors, uh, so I, I, these are just genuinely <laughs> disclaimer. <I> like. <laughs> but there's, yeah, big disclaimer there. Um, well, I I've used Braze before as a CRM platform. I've also used Salesforce. Um, I've used, um, I mean, just kind of name it, any of them: SendGrid, Mailchimp, um, Constant Contact. I, this goes back with any platform <laughs> over the last eleven years. Iterable. I've used that. Clavio. Anyway, um, so if like when I've done work for small startups, um, typically the only thing that matters is how much it costs. Because if my only goal is to right now foster an email list that's a hundred thousand or lower, and um, I'm going to send out a weekly newsletter with some basic automation, fine. Yeah. Um, and then this these kinds of SaaS offerings become the the com- competition becomes even tighter because um with those basic features they're not hard to build so you can't say your product has a giant differentiator unless it's a user experience but then you but instead you're looking at how content fits how content fits into this as um part of the growth engine so braze is doing a great job it's a much more expensive tool so not just for startups but um, they're what seems like product marketing or sales enablement. Um, when they like, so for those disciplines, the sales team they reach out, and it's actually very well researched information. Um, I would, I don't know, like you don't have to buy the product, but if you are looking for kind of a more academic approach to learning about this kind of stuff, then maybe sign up as a lead and just see what they respond back with. But what I've experienced in the past at multiple companies is that they, I'm, I'm actually getting real screenshots of our CRM triggered and then a sales rep from Braze using the, the challenger mode, but telling me like, oh, we did an audit and here's what's wrong with it and here's how our platform can solve it. So there's that one thing. And then um, they will have educational offerings in the form of white papers or eBooks or webinars. And then tell me that the problems that you're having specifically, here are some educational resources to help you solve them. And it's, and they're taking a back seat. They're like, we made this, but you know, maybe we don't need to sell you this immediately. Instead, we're building this trust at the moment. And, 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 and so I think that's like beautiful and wonderful and how content really comes into play. At IBM, we used our customers. Of course, you need testimonials. We used our customers as um, uh, the people who are showcased in all of these things. Um, and uh, we also took them to trade shows and they like we would have our voice through the customer, um, which really helped with that trust building as well. So it started generating this more so of a flywheel um this this flywheel that wasn't making us only dependent on demand gen right i see yeah and and so i i imagine like that um we're always talking about especially because our our target audience primarily at at, um future of SaaS is is startups SaaS startups um so we're all there's always this sort of um I guess dilemma that we're always dealing with about you know how much should be spent, how much on customer conversion, 
versus um, the engagement of co- of existing customers so that they don't churn. Um, and that's something that's really interesting to me. Uh, I, I guess a lot. I mean, the math is actually easier there. Yeah, right. So do you think that the, are the two just should well, always be in line or should or is there sort of uh, is there one that should be in particular kind of given more attention than the other? Yes, I mean, it's it's they they shouldn't they are in line. They have different goals and different tactics. And ideally, they're working together as one individual structure, like a sustainable engine. Um, but it really depends on stage of company as well as the business model. Um, because one thing like it's, I guess, yeah, it, it depends on the needs. So let's just go with the existing customers. Um, if you're a SaaS startup, then, um, you're likely going to make like increasing your LTV and a, and a renewed subscription, um, uh, will have a larger impact typically on your revenue and like your annual recurring revenue. Um, and uh, so we and we used to say this um, at IBM with some people, but paying for a very expensive steak dinner with one of the clients to renew their contract um, uh, often and more commonly had a larger revenue impact than acquiring, uh, spending all that money to also acquire net new customers. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's, again, depending on what your definition of growth is. Um, with that, you will still continue to gather more total users um, because you'll get word of mouth and that's wonderful. You can also structure a referral program um, with these people that um, do or you're trying to get to renew. Um, but on the other side, if you are trying to 10x your user base, then those funds and that effort, it, it can't just be um, on your core audience. Um, so the the two don't, they should be in line, but it, um, they often aren't and uh and it's just because what the goals can be um dramatically different and again and then that changes the overall tactics yeah and of course the tactics do have to be wildly different i mean a customer who is engaged is going to be in theory i i suppose more likely to to um respond to your to your messaging than somebody who's never heard of you or never seen you before so i imagine the tactics there have to be pretty pretty radically different to engage somebody who's never heard your solution before and never seen it, who's just kind of scrolling through social media or what have you. Yeah, I, I equate all the digital marketing, but especially in this use case to online dating. Um, uh, when you like on, yeah, it's you're first of all trying to get matched, and that might be the or like the social media or the search engine marketing um, algorithms where someone searches for something and you have defined yourself in that space, or someone is um, uh, someone is looking through reels or TikTok posts in the for you page, and the way that you've made your content um, matches with what they're currently looking for um, or with the platform thinks that they're looking for. And so that's that's step number one. The second then is um, uh, it's it's like when you're dating, okay, now you've been matched with someone and you're going to start messaging them. Um, you're sending them little value propositions here. Like, here's why you should date me. Like, here's what, what matters to me. Um, and then that other person aligns, um, determines whether or not your beliefs and who you are aligns with like what they actually believe as well. 
Yes. And so that, that's kind of more on the acquisition side. When you're looking at the um, annual recurring revenue and recurring subscriptions, then you've gone on a date with someone and now you're asking them to go on another date with you. And, and, and so I think I just wanted to tell that because it does support what you're saying. The, if someone has already experienced a 60 minute dinner with you, um, uh, then it's much easier to convince them to go on a second one, unless you totally botched it. I mean, that's a whole other situation. <laughs> they hated your product in the first um, uh, in the first subscription, then like you're screwed anyway. But this is really if like they liked you enough and they're also going on dates with two or two or three other people. I, I love this analogy, John, because I think it's so fitting, actually, um, because, you know, you sort of have with online dating, you do have that initial kind of touch point of being like, oh, this person looks OK. Or in this, you know, in the case of uh, of marketing products, you know, this product looks looks OK. Um, but then we often see and I guess you can make that analogy again with people who sort of show an interest in your product. You know, maybe they go on your landing page, they take a look, maybe they sign up even for a free trial or something. Um, there's that initial interest, but then that diff the difficulty really comes in in not in stopping them from falling through the net, right? And that comes, I guess, in, yep. in and you really have to convince them of who you are and that you you have something, you have a solution that can actually benefit their life. So I think that that analogy is just so fitting for what we're talking about, actually. I love it. <laughs> well, and to build on top of that, like taking this to the sustainable growth engine um, yeah. and also relate, relating this to a lot of our touch points is that um, um, I didn't come on or mean to come on just to talk about content marketing, but <laughs> this is something where if you are trying to and maybe bridge the two, but if you're trying to create a growth engine um, or a flywheel um uh, then you're you are looking at the full entire funnel all the different kinds of channels that you can do um up front you typically want to increase the top of your funnel and that's going to increase the total amount of crap in that's fine um depending on like your def definition if you're looking to convert someone within seven days you're going to get a ton of um crap by definition if you're looking to convert someone over the next six months, then you might be getting a lot of very good leads um, uh, because um, uh, they have opportunity, just not immediate opportunity. So content marketing that I think works really well. It actually, it's it's like what Future of SaaS is doing. Like make um, you are you just need to find ways to provide value that um, one amplify the product because we can't lose sight of product led growth. Growth ultimately is here to amplify the message of the product and get as many excited people as possible to try it. Yes. Then it's product's job to yeah deliver on the um, on that promise, like the brand message, the value prop, and then also like be an enjoyable experience. So if if you have something like um, a conference or a series of webinars or a podcast series or a Slack chant, like Slack group. These are great ways to um, like really don't sell in these places. Like that's a great way to go kill it. But um, uh, these are great ways to get more leads, um, but on a much longer time frame. Um, there, there's this type of marketing that's decades old, but um, it's essentially the car house or insurance marketing structure. Um, people, they, they get, people get really, really confused when they think about how much money these three companies pay on ads. 
because I'm like, I'm not ready to buy a house or insurance. Why am I getting this ad? The, the premise of that kind of marketing is that these companies believe that at some point in your life, you will need these and they, and they want you to be top of mind. So even if they're spending, let's say, $50,000 on an individual um, to make to like actually make a um, purchase with all the ads, that's their CAC. The LTV could be astronomically higher than that. And so now we're switching back to future of SaaS and a Slack channel. Like you're likely getting very, very, very organic growth here. And then over time, when someone, if you're assuming will join a company or will need a new SaaS product, then they know of you and they have an avenue to directly um, communicate. And uh, um, they also have a feeling, which is your brand. Um, that you are highly trustworthy because you've just been providing highly valuable, engaging content and a community without um, hard selling to them. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm glad you're sort of touching on kind of, um, I guess, community-led growth now a little bit where sort of, I guess, I mean, I don't know if this links in with what you were talking about, the referral program a little bit, like... Um, where you're able to kind of establish a, a community of, I guess, existing customers who are kind of shouting from the rooftops about your product. I guess when you're talking about sustainable growth, once you've got that kind of thing going, that can be a really uh, essential tool. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and so here's some examples that then like refer referrals is, is, I don't know. I mean, it's a fickle thing. It can be a total nightmare. Yeah. Um, it really depends on the product as well. So I'll give some examples of like cheat codes, but things where maybe you have access to this as a listener and you just haven't utilized it yet. But let's look at um, Klarna. Klarna, we were really focused on what we call the um, Klarna consumer. And so not all of these consumers came in through the mobile app. Instead, um, it's through co-marketing. Klarna was assigning and still is. I mean, it's it's a great product, but um, signs um, contracts with vendors who then um, that integrate buy now pay later onto their website. Yeah, these retailers and customers then also have their own customers. Um, so the co marketing program ended up being very robust and a giant part of Klarna's marketing because we would have. X amount, like X million um, email subscribers, we would have our own like marketing events. And this is again, and so, and then uh, we would have the other companies participate. Um, so we weren't asking them to give more money necessarily to the campaigns, some clients, of course, but primarily we just wanted to tap into each other's networks. Um, there's a there's a massively growing startup called Handshake. I don't know if they're a startup. I think they just raised like a Series F or something. But um, they it's a career platform for college students, and they offer the product for free to university um, uh, college centers, like career centers, and then those career centers bring in students. Um, at Kickstarter, we were acquiring creators who then acquired backers because it was. Um, more financially uh, sustainable for our organization. Um, if we spent more time making content marketing or teaching these creators how to do marketing, then they would, uh, I mean, they would ultimately get more people um, at who would convert faster than if we just did prospecting ads. And I have tons of more of these examples, but it's, do you have an existing network that you can tap into 
can you um, give them um, can you give them value for free? And maybe it is again like a Slack group. It's not like a magic bullet, but it's something that's fairly easy to create um, to manage a community is a whole other thing. But that then can create an entire growth engine for an organization. And we're seeing it at these companies that are growing at a massive scale. There's another one called Paper. And they partner with school districts um, who then bring on students for free online 24-7 tutoring. So if just take a look at, at that model and see if you are part of a marketplace. And if you are part of a marketplace, then see how your product can fit in to provide them value. And if your product can provide the marketplace value, then turn that into a referral program. Right. So I was wondering if you you mentioned a few companies there. I wonder if you could if you could mention sort of uh, like a sort of ideal example of of a company that's successfully kind of implemented a, a sustainable growth strategy and what that looks like if you were to break it down. Yeah, it's, well, I mean, Klarna, just also because I had, um, uh, I had more experience with the inner workings. I mean, Klarna has a really amazing um, growth program um, and it's because there's a good growth mentality. Um, they, they operationally, they work really well in um, like agile and, I guess, like iterative cycles, they work very closely with product. Like from when I left, um, nearly half of the employees in the growth department were engineers as well. So it's it was also just really leaning into the fact that data and um, data, uh, I guess, like processing is necessary here. So with all that said, and you wanted me to break it down, like the first part is um, I, I do think about it's, I, I can go either way here and people all feel very strongly <laughs> about the different directions, but you either figure out where your diminishing return is on advertising spend. And uh, like you can say, we can spend exactly $245,000 per month. And right there, um, uh, we can get a $3 cost per install. If we spend one more dollar, um, the cost per install increases dramatically. So great. You have that, and we're going to consider that a safety net. That so that gives you immediate, um, uh, like an immediate safety net because organic takes a while to grow. Mm -hmm. And during that time, you then focus on a so like at Klarna, that was something. It was a, it was one of the first things that was set up. Simultaneously, you're figuring out ways to have um, organic acquisitions and building that trust in the industry. So at Klarna. Um, the brand team, uh, they did these activations that were we um, described as temporary monopolies on highly passionate communities. So one was launching with RuPaul's Drag Race um, in the drag community. Another one was with um, the Doggist, and that was for dog lovers. Um, and, and it just kept going on and on and on like that. Um, and uh, then the next thing we did was um, focus on an automation program. We started with the onboarding. Um, the onboarding flow, trying to determine which um, product features made the most sense and value props. Then we did a lot more product-led growth for the engagement. And the product team had created delivery tracking. And so we started doing conquesting for organizations like Shop um, that um, did delivery tracking. 
Um, and we even offered it so you don't have to purchase using Klarna to then track your deliveries. That was just this is just a feature that we want for shoppers. They also made something called price drop notifications. And so the product-led growth here, once people get into the funnel um, from whatever source, and then you're starting to educate them through automation marketing, after, and then they're actually experiencing unique product features um, that help them stay within the ecosystem without purchasing, that's wonderful. And now let's say they actually do purchase. Um, Klarna made this thing called Vibe. It's a loyalty program. And based on like when you buy at what merchants, you get extra vibes, which are the points to then spend elsewhere. Um, and uh, and tangential to that program is ref referrals, um, where then uh, um, you can make X amount of dollars for new people acquired. And then the final component, which I had mentioned earlier, was this whole co-marketing thing too. Because um, now, like H&M, um, Home Depot, um, uh, there's a ton of, as you know, Sephora, a bunch of merchants that use Klarna. Um, now there's um, uh, programs that are co-marketed. Um, so we might do an event and Sephora would participate. We might do a giveaway and Sephora might make a beauty tutorial and um, we would give away like a beauty package, um, things like that. And so all of these pieces together, and this is why saying an engine isn't lightly said, it's much easier said than done, but an engine is made up of multiple components that all work within sync. And the idea is if any of these components individually break down, that the entire engine breaks down itself, or it just works a lot less efficiently. So what I'm describing is, a fairly complex engine. Um, it can get more complicated than that. It can be more basic, but I think that's a concrete use case for some core things that you would want established here. Yeah, and so I imagine that you know you're talking about all the different parts having to work in sync. That applies, I guess, to all the different kind of functions within your your org as well. There's got to be pretty tight alignment there, I imagine. Oh, absolutely. Um, well, so it's, and, uh, working with product is if you're a marketer, let's say not a growth marketer, any marketer working directly with product is, is something that you need to do as soon as possible. If, if you want to go and like, if you want to work with them very well, um, my advice is learn about product management because that's something that you're really going to have to do. And then I would also um, learn a lot more about data. Yeah, you get this. I mean, it's cross being cross-disciplinary means that you're um, knowledgeable across different domains. Um, and so I am obsessed with product-led growth. And at Klarna, one of the things that happened in the first like six months um, is that um, we did this giveaway and the app broke. And uh, um, everyone is freaking out because this is the first time it's happened. And what, and what you see at a lot of organizations is that there's finger pointing the finger pointing typically happens between this trifecta. It's product, marketing, and sales. Sales <laughs> is saying marketing is not giving us good enough leads. Marketing is saying, well, you're just not doing enough with those. Product says that um, marketing is not bringing the right people. Marketing says, well, the product sucks. So like, I'm doing my best here. So, um, but what ended up happening is that it was really tight with the product team. And we just came to this conclusion that, you know, this is a fairly nascent product because um, this was, I think, still 2019. And um, and what we really were and they're like, this is this is good. We want our marketing team to be so good that our product can't handle this many people. And then um, and then we 
Um, and then our job in that, like to be challenged as a product team is to do this so well that um, we actually protect against that. And we are making product features that help the marketing team expand. Yeah, th those are all highly important components of this stuff. Yeah, I imagine that. I like the bit about the finger pointing. We've definitely read a lot about that between sales and, and marketing and product. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. With that at all costs. Well, <laughs> and then similarly, I mean, it's, you don't need a common enemy, but similarly, I do feel like at IBM, we actually had a good relationship with sales um, and product marketing in particular um, yeah. uh, because it was then like, well, if we're not converting them, um, uh, it might be the content. It, it, and this is why actually if having a more complex growth engine helps because there isn't a single point of failure. You're looking at yeah. multiple types of marketing efforts. You're, yeah, you're looking at multiple types of marketing efforts that can all actually have um, individual reasons or opportunities to be improved. Absolutely, yeah. Well, um, thanks so much, John. It's been It's been really, really fascinating. Um, we've enjoyed, I'm sure our, our listeners are definitely going to benefit from hearing about this. It's been fascinating. Um, I think it'd be great if we could, we could finish maybe given your position as a, a marketing expert, if you could give us, uh, three qualities that you would look for in a, in a future digital marketer. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, it's so funny. Everyone I hired at Klarna did not previously have a background in mobile app marketing, um, so, okay, this is, this might be biased, but it's, it just, the most important thing for me is to create a team that works well together. And so the three things I really look for, one is attitude. The next one is aptitude and aptitude, um, is based on existing skill sets. So it's more so like data, um, data orientation, um, understanding of testing frameworks, um, and then attitude is like the willingness to learn, not being stuck in your ways. Um, and then um, the third one um, is uh, the third one. And then the third thing that I really look for is um, applicability to the specific domain that they're going to, or competence that they're going to manage. Um, so if there's a uh, um, automation marketer, let's say, or even demand gen, let's like do this across ways. Um, I don't necessarily need them to have experience in buy now, pay later or whatever field that you're working in, but I do want, um, need to know that they can think, um, they, they can think co in complex or I guess like more detailed ways about, um, their domain. So the person that I hired for automation at Klarna, he came from WeWork working on their, more on the B2B offerings. Like you'd think totally out of sync, um, a lot of hiring managers would not hire them. But in discussion, um, uh, when uh, just describing how this person uses data um, in automation, I was like, we can do that. And then I'll supplement what you're doing with a product marketer who can craft the messaging. And then you'll just, you need to use that point number two, which is your data literacy um to and like just learn this new glossary of terms in a relationship of them within the organization and so let's get you some support and make sure that um you have a direct line to the data science team and so it's it's just stuff like that that those three are primarily soft skills but mean a lot more to me than someone who has 10 years one particular hard skill well soft skills can go a long way definitely yeah yeah exactly yeah 
Well, thanks so much, John. It's been a really, really fascinating discussion. Um, and like I said, I'm sure our, our listeners are really, really going to benefit from this. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Thanks for everyone for listening. Uh, if you do uh, if you do need any advice, please just reach out to me directly on LinkedIn. I check my email every day. Thank you for joining us on this episode of SaaScast. Please join us next time for more top insights from the leading minds in SaaS.